commend each and every one of you uh, for really making an effort here this week to come. Uh, some of you Wednesday, Thursday, and now Friday night. I know it's a busy week. Sunday's right around the corner. And we also have uh, a wedding uh, that's uh, coming up here. And so I just appreciate so much your being willing to uh, take of your evenings to join with us here for this time. And uh, Pastor Gorman, thank you for the opportunity. What a blessing just to see what God's doing here and uh, looking forward to uh, just what the Lord has all weekend long. The book of Acts chapter 13. I told my wife this afternoon, I said, you know, this is uh, really a continuation of the first two nights, and yet we, we really loaded it up heavy on the book of Acts trying to get a biblical view of how to impact our world for the cause of Christ. How can we be used of God to see what took place in Acts 17 where they turned the world upside down? Wouldn't that be wonderful if uh, the world would say that of the church today? Uh, I know there's an important uh, election that's going on and we're prayerful concerning really the future of Ireland. And I I look back at uh, the country that I was born and raised in and, and thank God Uh, that in our history we have seen God bring a season of mercy and grace. And I believe a lot of it comes back to what God's people, uh, the church, has accomplished. So we have worked our way through the uh, book of Acts as we uh, saw what does God require of us. We recognize that there is a plan, and that plan is simply Obeying the Great Commission. And we cannot obey the Great Commission without also planning churches. How can you win them? How can you baptize them? How can you teach them all things whatsoever Christ commanded us without that uh, institution that Jesus Christ ordained, the local New Testament church? And so we recognize that God's plan is more than just evangelism. God's plan also is uh, allowing churches to reproduce churches. He gave us his promise, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. He promised power, Acts 1.8. We're, we're not going out without the power of God. God wouldn't ask us to do something that he does not empower us to accomplish. And uh, when you think of birthing a baby church... That's an impossible thing. I mean, God has to be in that. And uh, we're just so thankful that God makes that marvelous promise, provides his power, and also accompanies us with his presence. Uh, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. So we saw the progress the early church made. And we looked at the book of Acts, not through the lens of doctrine, although doctrine is important, uh, not through the lens, I know sometimes as preachers we, we focus in on a, 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 let's just say a small passage of scripture and, and sometimes we overlook the bigger picture. And we've looked at the big picture uh, through the book of Acts recognizing that the New Testament church was obsessed with the Great Commission and allowing God to use this one church, the church at Jerusalem, to impact and just Approximately 25 years, we saw them starting in Jerusalem, 
going up to Samaria, Acts chapter number 8. Uh, we saw Philip, the deacon, being used as he went down to Azostas and up the coastal city. And then we read about all of those places that had believers now being established. What a blessing. And then Acts 9.31 where it tells us there was uh, plural churches in uh, Galilee, in Judea, in Samaria. We see a local church in action in Damascus. Saul is saved. He's baptized there in that church in Damascus. We hear of these same scattered ones now heading up to Antioch. I'm going to destroy your uh, microphone before I'm all said and done here. I'm sorry. Up to Antioch. And uh, there we saw um, Barnabas uh, as he's overwhelmed with all the Gentiles that are being saved. He's looking for help. He, he calls upon Saul of Tarshish to come down and assist him. And then we find ourselves here in Acts chapter number 13, where God is going to allow the church at Antioch to do what the church at Jerusalem has so marvelously done, and that is reproduce disciples, leaders, and churches. And I'm going to drum that home while I'm here. The multiplying of disciples, leaders, and churches is God's plan to turn the world upside down. And, and all the other things that we have are good things, but they're not the primary things. You know, so often as churches, we, we have all kinds of ministries. When was the last time you heard a pastor talk about their church planning ministry? You know, I've got this ministry, that ministry, this ministry. We've got money for all ministries. But the one ministry that the Word of God tells us ought to be paramount, it ought to be on the front burner, not the back burner, it ought to be this Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission is exactly what, what we all know it to be, take the gospel to the world, and the local church is equipped to accomplish that. So we saw that first church planning trip. I don't call them missionary trips. It was a church planning trip. And uh, we see here that as they went, I, uh, uh, Antioch of Pisidia, uh, we saw Iconium, Lystra, Derby. We see Barnabas going back there to Cyprus. He's going to take John Mark on that second missionary journey. We heard about the churches that were springing up in uh, Syria, uh, also there in that area of Tarshish. And, and now both teams are going out with, I believe, the very same heartbeat, and that is to evangelize for the purpose of seeing churches started. See, church planting isn't rocket science. It's just evangelism that leads to a local New Testament body being established in that area. The second trip, Paul goes through Galatia. We learned that there are uh, the, the letter to the Galatians is written to a region, not a city. It's the churches of Galatia. Read Galatians 1.1. So there's multiplying of ministries there. Desire to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit said no. Desire to go to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit said no. Uh, finds himself in Troas and there receives that uh, uh, Macedonian uh, call, that vision from the Holy Spirit to go over into Greece. And so we saw those churches now started. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Athens, Corinth, Chancheria, according to Romans 16, verse number 1, is a church that will be started in time. And all of this in a fairly short period of time, and as a pastor, I, I, I looked upon what the early church did, and it convicted me to the core. 
Because my Bible tells me in Acts 1.8 that they did it simultaneously. That the, the Lord said both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost. I don't have the luxury or the option just to be involved in Jerusalem. That's disobedience. Obedience is allowing God to use us in all of these areas. If nothing else happens during these meetings, then God gets a hold of uh, this local church and it leads the way. It spearheads uh, saturating Ireland with local New Testament churches. We would rejoice for all eternity. When your pastor starts talking about wanting to see another church planted or investing in that endeavor, can I tell you it's the best investment you can make? It really is, not just for the sake of the souls that will be saved in that place, but with every new church that's planted, there's the potential in that church to see uh, many other churches birthed. And we have to see it through the lens of the New Testament. There, that third church planting trip we know is uh, centered out of Ephesus in Asia Minor. We know the result in Revelation 2 and 3 are at least seven churches Colossae is also in Asia Minor. I don't know why Colossae is not mentioned in Revelation 2 or 3, outside the fact that maybe not every church survives that long period of time. Something happened to the church at Colossae where by the time you get to 90 AD, it's not spoken of. Remember the warning that Jesus said, I'll remove your candlestick to the church at Ephesus? Maybe God did that. To the Colossi church. How about Heropolis is mentioned also in Colossians 4. That was a church that received the same letter that Colossi received. And the same letter that Laodicea received. Neither of those churches are mentioned in the book of Revelation. So we need to realize that we must constantly chart, uh, start churches. Because churches are birthed and sometimes churches die. Sometimes churches have a season where they are vibrant and alive. And something happens in the life of that church. And the Lord Jesus Christ has to remove that candlestick. And we must be fervent and desirous to see God use us. We, we saw what took place in uh, uh, the Isle of Crete uh, and Titus where he was uh, told by the Apostle Paul, ordain elders in every city as I've commanded you. I don't know how many cities were there in Crete. I'm not sure how many churches needed those elders. But we do know that some needed them. And then Peter mentions to us the strangers that are scattered abroad in Cappadocia, uh, Pontius, and Bithynia. Folks, this is the New Testament pattern. This is what we have to have firmly in our hearts and minds as uh, we're looking at a, a blueprint. You know, if you're going to build a building, you want a, a blueprint that you can follow and that you can know that it, it's going to survive the test of time. And we have no better blueprint than the word of God itself. Now, I'm just going to use as a springboard Acts chapter 13, and then we're going to leave ancient history, and we're going to come into more of modern history. And I'm just going to share tonight some illustrations on why uh, if, if we get involved in God's program, God can bless us in this time as he's blessed in other times. And that we can see God move again across our globe. All right? So let me share here as we get going. Uh, Acts chapter number 13. Let me read now verse number 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed 
unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God. So we go back to a local church just functioning, ministering to the Lord. you got Sunday school teachers. you got folks that are involved here uh, in all kinds of ministries in a local church. And the Holy Spirit whispers and says, these are good ministries. I, I want those ministries to continue, but I want some that will launch out into the deep that would just be my instruments in seeing what God is doing in Antioch reproduced in other communities. And that's still the passion of the Holy Spirit of God. It's still God's desire. Uh, The disciples are, I mean, wonderful illustrations of men that got a hold of that vision and said, we want to take uh, the gospel uh, to faraway places. Uh, uh, Fox's Book of Martyr gives us uh, an inkling here of where some of these went. Uh, Peter, uh, as far as Babylon, John, Asia Minor, uh, Andrew there to Greece, Asia, Asia Minor, Phrygia for Philip, Armenia, Ethiopia for Matthew. Do you see the passion to take the good news gospel to the world? And that ought to be our passion as well. I went online today and I got our current world population as of just a couple hours ago. All right, I know you are wanting to know what that number was. And uh, so I, uh, I went to my friend Google. And uh, Google help me, all right? So we have 7,624. You can stare at that site for a long time and you just see those numbers whirling, you know. It, it, it is quite something. And the reason I want to share that with you because I want you to understand that at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and the early church, you approximately have a world of 250 million inhabitants. And I just want us to put it together, what we've learned the last couple of days. 250 million people, and yet they were obsessed with getting the gospel to everyone. Matter of fact, that third missionary trip, uh, we can read in the Bible that it wasn't just a lot of the folks that heard the gospel. Uh, The word of God tells us that for two years they proclaimed the word of God, and everyone heard the gospel. What a blessing. As we look back in history. But folks, if they needed this kind of an emphasis for 250 million, how much greater? Thank you. For us today. And I actually made sure it wouldn't go to sleep. All right? Thank you so much. Back again? All right. Now we'll move forward. We today have a population 30 times greater than during the time of the early church. When we think of the effort of the early church, we think the population today is 30 times greater than it was back then. How much of a greater emphasis should we have, not less? How much should we be uh, just burdened about the multitudes I pulled up uh, Ireland's population. This was lied, as you can tell, all right? So this was as of today. This is how many souls are here in Ireland. And I've been told here that we have about 25 or so independent Baptist churches scattered across uh, your nation. That is one Baptist church 
Independent Baptist Church for almost every 200,000 people. Now, that's astounding. Uh, let me share with you from yesterday uh, just what God began to do through Ambassador Baptist Church, and we, we shared that really the only hope is to see churches planted that will also plant other churches. And uh, this is just a, a start, uh, and I believe God wants to do so much more. And if there are churches that would really be passionate about multiplying churches, it will wake other pastors up. It'll cause other pastors to say, I want to be a part of that. As we were planting churches in the Central Valley, and one by one, God was uh, uh, allowing men to be raised up, there was a period in time in Central California where I'd have evangelists coming through, and they would say, listen, there is a reviving that's going on in this valley of church planting because they're springing up all over. And uh, just in a, a period of 15 months, we had the privilege of helping four of these local churches reproduce a church. And uh, our church was involved in two uh, churches that were being uh, planted. Folks, it doesn't take many churches to get the burden. But when one or two or three can get a hold of it and they can start practicing the multiplying of churches and, and their heartbeat is to see those new babies have babies and those babies have babies. I tell you what, there can be a, a lasting impact even in California. Even in Ireland, uh, God led us by the Holy Spirit of God to Simi Valley, California. Some of you may remember uh, President Ronald Reagan. The library is there, his presidential library. I had uh, a team that God put together as we went to Simi Valley, the Betts family, and they gave two years of their life to pick up, uh, move, leave their home. They rented their home out. They moved to Simi Valley, and they said, we're here to get a job. Now, that was a novel thought. They, they left their job. They left, uh, I think it was South Carolina. They came out to California. He got not one, two, three jobs, and he said, I want to be involved in a church plant. And what a blessing that was to see that God used that family. Um, we began in a hotel, and uh, it wasn't a real large room, uh, smaller than the room we have here, and uh, it was just a blessing not knowing anybody in the community, but just sharing the good news, getting the word out, and seeing God build his church. I got to the place where we just didn't have any more room in the hotel. And uh, we started to look for property in Southern California. And, oh, what a task that is to try to find any kind of a building, let alone a church building. And uh, the hotel, it, it accommodated us in every way. They had a wonderful baptistry. And it was heated. It was Uh, we had some wonderful days there at the hotel, seeing lives transformed and God working in a powerful way. And then just before our third anniversary, we really recognized that God was uh, leading us to another place. We just, we just weren't sure where that might be. And, and God directed us to this uh, building where a church had met there for 20 years, and they had spent $1.7 million on this building. What they did is, is they took a shell of a building that used to manufacture windows and they built it all out for church purposes. Their denomination put the $1.7 million into it. At 20 years, they walked out of the lease 
we stepped in the next Sunday, that they walked out. We didn't have to pay the $1.7 million. They had already invested that in the local, uh, into the uh, building. This is how they had it uh, when we first arrived. Uh, a much larger room than we ever thought we, we would need. Uh, matter of fact, the auditorium part itself was 14,000 square feet. And um, they had it set up uh, kind of a banquet style for church. And they had uh, their tables up. And you'll notice a lot of black in the picture. A lot of walls were black. The hallways were black. It was just an interesting thing when we walked in and and first saw it. And uh, yet God uh, allowed the church family unanimously to to ask God for that portion of the building, that, that yellow portion. It would cost us a quarter of a million dollars to put all the rooms into it that we wanted. And, and of course, as a young church plant, we were not, not yet three years old. We did not have the quarter of a million dollars. And uh, we just asked if we could borrow one room. All right, so up in the top, we said, could you give us that one classroom? And they came back, and it was a, a middle of a prayer meeting we were in. And, and uh, the uh, a broker called up and he says, listen, I got some news for you. You need to come down to the office. Uh, they want to talk to you about... Uh, this room. And I said, okay, that sounds good. Uh, I don't have a quarter of a million to build rooms. It's just one big auditorium is all really that is. And, and a foyer, some restrooms. And uh, I got there that morning and he looked at me and said, listen, they're wanting you not just to have the room, but they're willing to give you the rest of the building for a dollar a month. Now the rest of the building was um, 18,000 square feet in Southern California. See, God's all over church planning. Uh, God delights in folks just realizing that there's a big God that can do anything. And for the next 15 months, they allowed us to be in that building and use all the classrooms and use the offices. And, and uh, just, just it, it, it was a, a miracle. And after 15 months, they said, all right, now, uh, do you want to keep it? And uh, so we started, had to, had to pay, you know, for other portions of the building. But we had our grand opening in that building after it was remodeled. And let me tell you, uh, it has been a blessing from the Lord to see how just a few years before, we're wondering if anybody's going to show up to a service. And then seeing God do something that we were just incapable of doing ourselves. Uh, to God be the glory, great things he's done. You know, he's just looking for obedience. He's, he's looking for someone, and we were in our mid-50s at the time. Uh, I know church planners are usually in their 20s and 30s, right? Uh, they, they have a little uh, energy. Um, we were in the mid-50s, and uh, folks were looking at me and saying, what are you doing planning a church at your age? And uh, I, I, I just uh, am so thankful that we, by faith, took that journey and uh, allowed God uh, to do uh, what God wanted to do in that area. And we thank the Lord for now the lighthouse that is there in uh, uh, Simi Valley, California. And uh, we're asking God that, that for that 38 million people in our state, all right, and I know sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around that. I have half the population of Ireland within 15 miles of our church. And uh, in, in that in that 15 miles, any direction, over 2 million people. Um, it's astounding on the lack of churches. I think we, there, there are now four good churches in that circle. 
There's a few others that are being started. But folks, there's a great need everywhere. Uh, and God's desiring to do uh, great and wonderful things. Many of you have maybe studied the history of America and you've heard of the Great Awakening. And I've tried to use the Great Awakening to encourage uh, the people of God because I think if we don't do the, the entire Great Commission, sometimes what sounds so wonderful in the history books, when you look at it from a bigger perspective, you recognize that, uh, thank God for every soul that was saved, but the actual impact of our country uh, was not nearly what it could have been if there would have been an emphasis not just on the salvation of the soul, but also uh, seeing churches established, seeing folks baptized by immersion, and seeing a place where they could grow. Um, The Great Awakening wasn't about that. The Great Awakening was about preaching the gospel. Again, so thankful Uh, If you read a little bit of uh, uh, the history books, especially Jonathan Edwards, uh, you may not recognize, but from the 1730s to uh, 1740s, five years following the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards was asked to leave his church. They had seen no conversions and no additions to their church. This is after the fervor. Five years where they saw absolutely nothing, and finally the men said, it's time for you to, to leave. We don't read about that in, uh, in, in, in the headlines of the history books. But folks, thank the Lord for the fervor. But there was something else that was going on uh, during that time. Uh, there were some individuals that were saved. And uh, one of my heroes of the faith, Shubal Stearns, was saved during that great awakening. Um, he came from the congregational church. Uh, he was truly born again. And he looked at the congregational church and he saw how dead that was. He became what was known as a separate. They separated themselves from the apostasy of the congregational church. And there as a separate, he looked around to see what other pastors were doing. And he stumbled across a Baptist preacher by the name of Wade Palmer in Connecticut. And Wade Palmer showed him a more excellent way. And he taught him the scripture. And Shubal Stearns, with his brother-in-law, Daniel Marshall, uh, volunteered to go south to South Carolina with a total group of 16 individuals with a flame in their heart, not only to see people saved, but see churches reproduced. And on purpose, they went into this church plant, and within six months, the second church was saved. Within two years, you have four churches A totally different concept than just, let's just reach the masses and hope for the best. It was slow. It was methodical. But can I tell you something? God did some great things. I like putting the picture of the uh, church house uh, because uh, you look at the building and you go, boy, it doesn't look like much. You know, uh, there's uh, pictures, and this is, the, this is the new and improved one. This is the one that after it was burned down, they, they rebuilt, all right? So this one actually has a balcony. And uh, so uh, uh, it, it is quite the building. The, the local church here grew from 16 to just a few years, 606 souls. But they continually had a heartbeat to go out and see other churches established. Shubal Stearns was 49 years old when God used him on this quest to start churches. 49 years old. He only had a 16-year window. And I'm sure at the end of those 16 years, he might have thought he was 
colossal failure because his church had gone all the way down to less than 20 people. From a high of 600 to less than 20 people. And people looked at that and said, well, what happened? He was fervent about training men, seeing people saved, and then thrusting them out into the ministry. And this astounds me. 42 churches started in 16 years. I just want that to sink in. Here's an illustration of someone that just took what the Church of Acts did and desired to do it in uh, early American history. And not only were those 42 churches started, but they had a, a training ministry where by the time Schubel Stearns died in 1771, there were 125 men that were trained. Preacher, I just look at that and I go, what am I doing? You know, what, what are we missing? We should be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. He loved the church. He gave himself to the church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There in North Carolina, if you look at the math, over 16 years, that is a new church every four and a half months. You say, how in the world could they see a church planted every four and a half months? Great faith and a great God. And I'll tell you what, these were simple farmers. These were farmer preachers. They didn't have great Bible colleges that they could go to. They were trained by a preacher as they went along with that preacher. And he learned at the elbow of that preacher. And then when he was ready to go, he would take another one and and would train that one as they went out. And God began in in a wonderful way to multiply churches. Now, the the. Virginia is an important state in in American history. Uh, Virginia was the battleground to the birthing of our nation. And uh, the history of Virginia is uh, one where no Baptist churches were allowed where the preacher did not take a license. Now, you you know of uh, John Bunyan. You know that he was in jail. Why? Because he didn't take a license to preach. Four Baptist preachers in Virginia took the state license to preach, and they had no witness whatsoever in the state. The separate Baptists came up from North Carolina, and they began here uh, to preach the word of God. They refused to take a license. They'd be thrown into jail. You can read the history of the Virginia Baptist during that time before 1776, and we see that there was such an impact by these separate Baptists that uh, they went from 10 churches to 210 churches, Baptist churches, in just 22 years. They were planting everywhere they went. This is astounding. Daniel Marshall was used to see churches started in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and as a 70-year-old man, he goes to Georgia. And God uses him to see the first Baptist church started in Georgia, And within 100 years, there were 2,663 Baptist churches. Astounding. His son, Abraham, started the first black uh, Baptist church in Georgia. They had a heart to reach everyone. And God used them in a powerful way. Now, if you know anything politically about the states, you recognize that the more conservative 
uh, area is that south area. And uh, it's interesting when you mask over uh, this church planting movement, you're going to see that God used Shubal Stearns in such a powerful way over 250 years ago that to this day you go to the south and it's called the Bible Belt. 250 years later, you're looking at this area of a country. Where was the Great Awakening? That was in the northeast. Many saved, thank God, but what kind of a lasting impact did it have? Not much. But that church planting emphasis, it, it revolutionized really our nation. It set our nation on a new course. And so much of the problems that we have in countries today, I believe, can be fixed if churches will get back to the business of planting other New Testament churches for the glory of God. This uh, is just a list of some of the Baptist historians that talked about how many Baptist churches were around. When Shubal Stearns came to North Carolina, 58 Hundred by the time that Shubal Stearns passes away, because 42 are added to that 58. Asplund says in 1786 that there's now 137 Baptist churches, and here's where it gets crazy. Over the next 50 years, folks, there's a 50-fold increase of Baptist churches in the United States, as you will find by 1836, 7,299 Baptist churches registered. It's amazing. What, what kind of an impact does that have on a young country? Now, at the time that there were 58 Baptist churches, there were only 1.17 million people, and historians say it was an insignificant sect. And I just want us to think about Ireland, and I want us to think about that one church for every 191,000. If if the Baptist church in the America was insignificant at one church for 20,000, what does the world think of our impact? What ought we to be focusing on? How, how should God get much glory in, in this nation through churches like this and other, uh, these other 25 men? Boy, if we could band together and see God do a great and marvelous work. I'm going to be honest with you. As as a population increased, uh, we see this ratio continue to drop as far as churches and how many churches uh, were present. I'm going to fast forward through a little bit of this. This is just in, in the United States. We're going backwards. I'm just telling you, we're going backwards. In the 1950s and 60s was the heyday of our church planting. Uh, over a 20-year period, for every existing church, we saw 1.4 new churches added. In the 70s and 80s, that was cut in half. Uh, in the 90s, uh, into the 2000s, now it's taking literally six churches to do what one church did in the 1950s. That's, that's where we are as far as church planning. We've lost interest in the states, and, and it will do tremendous harm if that is not reversed by this younger generation. I bring back uh, Georgia for just a moment because when you think of the Dublin area, the greater Dublin area, 1.7 million, I think is what I saw. Here, 1.5 million in 100 years, 
they saw 2,663 Baptist churches in the population area of Dublin. Now think about that. Can you imagine what kind of impact would there be in this area if you had 2,663 churches that were preaching the gospel and making an impact? That's why I believe God blessed us in those early days because the church was busy doing the work that God wanted to do. In Georgia, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but there was one church for every 500 people. One gospel-preaching church for every 500 people. It astounds us, but it was done because the emphasis was on simply multiplying churches and uh, uh, not so obsessed with being the, the, the mega church of the century. They were really uh, obsessed with let's reach people so we can train people so we can see new churches started, all right? Uh, in order for Dublin... Uh, to see that ratio, you'd have to add over 3,000 churches to the metro area to see what took place in Georgia. You know, I, again, I, I, I can't comprehend those kinds of numbers, but they lived those just a few hundred years ago. I put this gentleman up. He's not a Baptist, but, you know, he had uh, a desire 28 years ago in Austin, Texas, to just see his church multiply churches. I wish I could go to Baptist examples uh, in this, but... Uh, as I followed that local church, this was in 2009. They had 14 churches that they had reproduced in their city. And the yellow dots there are the ones that they were planning in that, in that calendar year, five new churches. I came back to the uh, website in 2015, and I saw they had now 25 churches. And uh, you see the green ones up there? There's three that they had for that calendar year uh, that they were going to start. Oh, to see our good independent Baptist churches with this kind of a passion to, to, I mean, saturate areas with the light, the the candlestick that God's wanting in each and every community. Uh, Fairfax Baptist Temple is one of those examples in in the United States. Brother uh, Bud Calvert, now retired, had one passion when he went to that church, and that was just, God, would you let me see some other churches established? He's right outside of Washington, D.C. And very early in his ministry, he had uh, a man, a businessman in his church, uh, Lou Baldwin, that uh, uh, he said, I'd like to go see a church started inner city, Washington, D.C. I'm not going by myself. You need to come with me. And uh, so together they went, and God started doing something in Brother Lou Baldwin's heart about ministry. And God took that businessman, and God allowed him to be a part of seeing uh, a brand-new baby church started, Crossroads Baptist Church in Bailey's Crossroads, Virginia. At that same time, there was a young man that was just coming home from college, Scott Wendell, that wanted to be a part of seeing this baby church started. And he, as an intern, came and watched and was a part of that. And later on, uh, God led him to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, to start a church also. Now, if all you had for a lifelong ministry was these two local churches, you'd be thrilled uh, because God has done some wonderful things through each and every one of these ministries But what if I told you that that was just two of not 12 churches that were started out of Fairfax Baptist Temple, not 24 churches, but in 35 years, 36 churches were started. 
This is not 200 years ago. This is now. This is God working uh, today. Now, I, I know uh, Brother uh, Bud is uh, retired. He's having uh, a great time in Florida preaching missions conferences. But, but, oh, to think the impact of just seeing God work in such a way that when you add just those three churches up, there are now 72 independent Baptist churches that are thriving in the United States of America because one pastor had a, 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 a vision for his ministry that we're just going to multiply churches. We may never be the largest church in the state or the country, but we're going to give ourselves to multiplying, and collectively there's going to be such a greater impact than could ever be just all by themselves. So what's the great need? It's to multiply disciples. Every disciple, we begin by ministering to the Lord. That's where it is in Acts 13. As they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, get that. You get busy here. You serve God here. You you just minister to the Lord wherever God's placed you. You let God work in your life. And the Holy Spirit's going to come along and he's going to say, well, separate me, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, these people here for the work that I've called them to. God wants us to be faithful where we are as a disciple, reproducing disciples. And then letting God uh, deal in our life in this area of uh, leadership and, and, and developing here some leadership abilities. Bud Calvert did that. He trained other men. And because of that, they were able to multiply themselves uh, 36 different times. Uh, Lou Baldwin did that. Uh, Pastor Robert uh, uh, Sabrell, I visited his church, a wonderful black church, and at that time they were getting ready to send out uh, Pastor Brent Givens to New Orleans. What What I'm saying is that when this catches hold and every church that is reproduced has that same passion, it doesn't take long to see this multiplying effect absolutely transform areas for the cause of Christ. Every pastor needs to see as his calling, the, the responsibility of reproducing pastors. 2 Timothy 2.2, Titus 1.6. It's interesting to me that both in Timothy and Titus, the requirements are given for men in the ministry, written to two men already in the ministry. This list was not for Timothy's benefit. It was not for Titus's benefit. It was for the benefit of those that he, they were training. And by the way, look at the context in Titus 1.6. Ordain elders in every city. And then the very next verse, here's the qualifications of the men that you're going to use to uh, be pastors in these communities. Uh, Where are we going to find workers to pastor these new churches? I love this. Look at what the Bible taught us. Acts 8.1, it was the layman. Philip, he was a deacon. All the apostles, they got involved in Acts 8. Barnabas was an encourager and exhorter. Saul was a teacher from Tarshish uh, that had a relative that uh, joined, John Mark, a nephew. Chief man, Silas, gets involved in Acts chapter 15. Uh, The disciple, young Christian Timothy, that's well reported of, uh, he, he is able to join this church planting team. Luke, a medical doctor, a Gentile, he's able to get involved in church planting. 
some tradesmen, Priscilla and Aquila. Folks, the whole Bible is filled with individuals, ordinary people that God used to thrust them out into the harvest to see uh, uh, multitudes come to the Savior. I want to close with us looking at one verse, Acts 20, and we're done. All right, go there with me, Acts chapter 20. This is my favorite verse, I think, in the book of Acts. <laughs> and it's a, it's a crazy verse. And these accompanied him, this is Paul, into Asia. Sophiter of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. Several things from this verse that the Lord taught me. First of all, that the more you do this church planning, the, the, the more of a team you need to gather around you. Uh, the Apostle Paul was going to do some astounding things. If you go to chapter 19 of Acts, verse 10, the Bible says, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's amazing. Everybody got to hear the gospel. And it took them just two years to reach all of Asia Minor. How'd they do it? Well, you see the team, Right? In chapter 20, verse 8, uh, verse 4. So uh, when I, I looked at this, I recognized this is exciting to me because not one of these men come from Antioch. Sometimes we feel like, where are the workers going to come from? Not one of them is from a Jerusalem church. Not one of them is from the Antioch church. All of them, as you look at the text, come from the churches that had been started along the way. Sometimes we wonder, where are all these new workers going to come? Or where are the finances going to come? Or, Pastor, if we have this great vision to see all these churches started, where are we going to get people? How about start a church in Berea or Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica or Derby, or Lystra or even there right in Asia Minor where they are for two years? Tychicus and Trophimus. How about just start churches and then see the workers coming out of those churches? Folks are afraid to start churches because they're thinking, oh, it's going to take all my people. No, in the harvest is where you're going to find the laborers. There are laborers that are waiting. They just need to be reached. And as they're reached, God's going to use them to continue the work for the glory of God. All right, what did we learn over the last three days? God wants us to multiply disciples and to minister to the Lord right where we are. And he's desiring us to get a, a passion to develop leaders. And by the way, be open to God using us. Um, I, I could tell you stories about some of the ones that Shubal Stearns used to see churches started. One of them was a, a man by the name of Reed. It's kind of interesting, his name, because he could not read. we can have this man prepared. By the way, these men shook, shook their, their areas profoundly. There, there are simple men that, that wouldn't have the education that your child has that were born again and that God thrust into the work and with just the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of Acts. They were unlearned and ignorant, 
and yet the world was turned upside down. Oh, that God would just give us a heart for it and recognize that what God did in the past, in the scripture, what he did in the past in history, what he continues to do today, he wants to do. And we just need to get on board. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for each one that's come. Help us, Lord, just to see your plan and program and then get on board. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.